politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome to The Dad Presents, you guys. Um, If you're watching this right now, I'm not here. I'm on spring break with my family and three other party families, and we're having a good time. Right now, you know, my two boys, I don't know, they're probably smacking each other in the head with pool noodles or trying to drown each other or something like that. I'm probably having a chugging contest of White Claw because that's how we do it out in California with my buddy Ron, probably beating them down with that. And things are getting ready to get crazy on spring break. But I recorded this show ahead of time about a week ago for you guys, because even though I need a vacation, I know you guys need your weekly medicine from the dad. So I'm giving it to you. I want to give the people what they want. Now, you might be noticing I'm standing up today. What's going on? Why is he standing? I don't like it when he makes these changes. What's he doing? I don't know. I wanted to. I felt like it. I wanted to try something new. Last week, we tried the new background. It sucked. So I'm throwing that one out. So I thought this week I'll try standing up. Let's see what it's like. So drink it in, you guys. Drink it in. Um, Guys, today we have got an amazing man on the show, but we stayed away from current events. We've been hitting the current events pretty hard. We stayed away from it today because honestly, recording this thing a week ahead of time, who could possibly even guess what the current events are going to be like by now, by the time you're watching it? I mean, there could be a nuclear cloud in my backyard right now. Will Smith might be getting jiggy with it on another comedian's face. Gas could be $14 a gallon by now. We can't possibly know, so we just stayed away from the current events. We talked about straight-up farming. Talked about farming, guys, and it was fascinating. We've got on the world's most famous farmer, okay? Joel Salatin. You're going to love him. He's a farmer, he's a writer, and he's a libertarian. And you're probably wondering, Matt, You've been having on one libertarian after another. What's with all the libertarians, man? I thought this used to be a parenting show. What's going on? And now it's just liberty, liberty, liberty. Like, we get it, okay? You like liberty, whatever. Can we talk about something else? And yeah, we can. But here's the thing. When you tell me my kids can't go to school for a year and that they have to go to a park for two and a half years and wear a mask and can't smile at their friends when they're playing with them, well, guess what? Liberty becomes parenting. So once we get all these assaults on our liberty and our children's liberty taken care of, once we're back to normal like we were in 2019, then we can go back and start answering your parenting questions about how to get your stupid three-year-old to use the toilet like he's supposed to. We get to it. But first, we got to take care of these human rights violations. And you know, one more thing in the liberty community that's come up in in a lot of the last few shows is the debate of anarchism versus minarchism. It hasn't been put in those terms, but it's kind of come up. And if some of you, most of you watching the show probably know the difference, but if you don't, the difference between anarchism and minarchism is anarchism is the absence of a centrally controlled government, whereas minarchism is the smallest possible government you can have. I tend to be in the minarchism camp. Um, And I think the further we get into all this, people are are moving further and further into that anarchism camp. 
I haven't gotten there yet. And here's my reason. My reason is human nature, okay? Human nature, the nature of man is to be tribal. People are tribal. We see it in sports. We see it in churches. We see it in different racial ethnicities, right? People are tribal, so they tend to group up. And once they're in a group, they look for an alpha. They just do. Most people want to be led. Now, I know a lot of you guys watching the show, you are libertarians. You don't want that. You consider yourself a leader, a lone wolf, a strong dog, right? But most people, they want to be led. That's human nature. So if you go and get rid of all government, 100% gone, well, guess what? You're going to have a void and some, something else, maybe way uglier than what you already had, is going to rise up. And people are going to look to that for strength and leadership. And that could be real bad. Okay? On the flip side, what happens when you get a government is also because of another aspect of human nature, which is greed, is that government always tries to grow and get bigger and bigger because humans are greed. And the type of humans who go into government seek power. They want power over others. That's why they get into government in the first place. So they get into government And the government just starts growing and growing and growing, and it never shrinks. So what you get is you get a government that grows and grows and grows and grows and grows out of control until the people have had enough, and they're tired of the assaults on their liberties, and then they fight back and they tear it all down, and then we're back down to nothing, and we repeat the cycle. It's a vicious cycle that humanity has seen for millennium. Start a government, start a set of rules, that thing expands, 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 collapses back down to nothing. Get a new one, expand, 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 collapse back down to nothing. We see it on and on over and over in human history. So what do we do about that? Well, there's there's really only one way to end that cycle as far as I can see. And that's a tiny the tiniest possible government you can have with the tiniest amount of leadership you can have where the rules are impossible for that government to expand. And that's what I believe our founders set out to create for us. But it has clearly failed because this thing has become a behemoth. So we need to get back to that idea, but this time the rules need to be severe. We need to make it impossible for government to grow. I don't know, just something I've been thinking about this week. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get into the show. You're going to love it today with Joel. And I hope you liked all this too. Maybe I'll be back next week sitting down. I don't know, man. Unpredictable here. Let's get into it. Guys, today we got a good one for you. We got Joel Salatin. He's the owner of Polyface Farms. Uh, They are revolutionizing farming and they provide goods, I believe, for like 5,000 families and 50 restaurants. On their website, it says, Joel, this is how it describes Joel on the website. Joel's a Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic farmer. I love that. I'm not sure what it means. I'm sure her tell us. Um, all I know for sure is that Joel, he's over 60, and he was at the Libertarian Convention in California that I was at recently, and the ladies got worked up for this dude more than all the other speakers combined. So I, I didn't know farming was so hot. Apparently it is. Joel, thank you for joining. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Matt. It's a delight to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I first became familiar with you 
uh, years ago on the Joe Rogan experience. I don't know how long that ago that was, but I, I used to follow the show and I used to think, you know, I'd like to have a show someday. And if I do, I want a guy like this on my show. It was just, it was a fascinating conversation you had with Joe. Um, now that said, I'm a city slicker. I'm out here in Los Angeles. I don't know anything about farming. So this is going to be a bit of a Ted talk from you. And the first thing I want to ask about is the concept you have of this electrical moving fence that I understand you, you keep your cows in and it, and it moves from spot to spot. So the cows are always grazing, uh, fresh grass. Like, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Sure. So, um, yeah, there is a, there is a, a thing called electric fence and essentially this is a wire. Uh, now they make it uh, out of uh, a, a, a woven like polyethylene with little tiny thread filaments uh, run through it. But anyway, um, conducts electricity and it, it's a pulsed electricity. Don't worry. It doesn't electrocute the cows. Um, you can touch it. Now it's, it's painful, but it doesn't actually physically hurt you. It's what it is. It's, it's, it's low amp and high volt. So, you know, it might be uh, ha half an amp and 8,000 volts. So the pain is high, but the actual, you know, energy is, is almost negligible. And, and it pulses, you know, like a um, heartbeat. It's not a steady thing, but it's extremely lightweight. And, uh, you, you know, you can roll it up on reels. And so with, uh, obviously, it's a psychological barrier, not a physical barrier. And so well-trained animals uh will you know will respect it as well as they will good grief a, you know a concrete barrier really i mean they're um they're, they're fearful of it but the beauty of it is that you can be because it is so lightweight and portable you can configure it any way you want to you can make turns bends circles you know you, you can configure, configure it however you want to so you can literally you can literally put a steering wheel a brake and an accelerator on that four-legged mower mm -hmm. uh, and steer that herd, steer it around the landscape with the same precision as a zero-turn uh, mower on a golf course. That's the, that's the first time this has been possible in human history. And, um, and electric fence, as we know it now, has really been in, in existence like this only since only since like the late 1960s, early 70s. Uh, now, you know, now we have, uh, you know, computer microchips in them and all sorts of, you know, high tech, cool stuff. But um, I mean, it, it, keep, it continues to get better every day. Um, but yeah, they have these little energizers, a little box, little energizer that you either plug onto a 12 volt battery or a little, a little solar panel about a foot square or into your, you know, your regular circuitry socket. And um, so the, the whole the whole system gives you completely customized, portable control of of, of a herd of animals uh, so and the, a flock a flock of chickens. Uh, you know, whatever. It's pretty so, amazing. So the idea is, it's constantly moving their grazing grounds. So you're not you're not ruining any one plot of land, and they're constantly eating while the earth is replenishing itself. How gigantic of a farm do you need to be able to to have it circulating like that. Yeah. Well, the beauty of this is it's completely the, the, the equity in this, the equity is not in the infrastructure. The equity is in your management of the infrastructure. So, uh, you know, when you think of like, like cattle feedlots and, and uh, confinement chicken, Tyson chicken houses and things, the, the equity in those is in this massive 
you know, concrete and infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas what I'm describing, the equity is not in mass, it's in management. And so it's completely scale, um, scale neutral. You can do this with, you know, with one cow on an acre. Um, you know, you, you, you'd give her, let's say you give her, uh, you know, um, uh, eight yards, eight yards by eight yards. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you give her that every day and you move her along, you know, like in a little cubicle, um, along the, the reason, the reason that this is so important is because it, um, ecologically it mimics the way animals, uh, uh, choreograph across the landscape in nature. So, you know, uh, if you look at the wildebeest on the Serengeti, you know, they're, they're migrating, they're moving, they don't stay in one place and, um, th they're moving for onto fresh ground. They're moving because predators are behind them. They're moving to get away, to rid, uh, get away from flies. Uh, they're moving because the monsoon rains are waiting for them. You know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons that they move, but ecologically that movement keeps them away from yesterday's manure. So it's sanitary. It gives them fresh grass, which is obviously a lot more palatable and it gives a rest period behind them for the grasses to recuperate so that, so that they're not, they're not being uh, nipped off when they just, you know, uh, send off a new, imagine, you know, like mowing your lawn. Okay. Mm -hmm. Imagine, imagine if you mowed your lawn an inch, an inch tall, and you mowed it that way, you know, every two days, your lawn would actually deteriorate because you would actually weaken the grass. It can never get any, you know, any, any uh, energy. And so the same thing would be true if the animal stayed in one place all the time, they would constantly keep it beaten down and pruned down to where it could never get out of first gear. You know, it could never get enough enough of a solar panel of a solar leaf panel, you know, to be able to actually metabolize uh, solar energy. And okay. so, so nature has all these cool built-in um, uh, forces to, to drive the herbivores across the landscape. So they don't stay in the same place at one time. Well, as farmers, we build fences. We don't let them do their migratory patterns. And so we have to replicate those migratory patterns on our own, on our own places. And that stimulates a, a greatly accelerated increased production of the forage in Augusta County, where we are here in Virginia, we get five times the County average in production because wow. of this management scheme five times. So imagine if the neighbors would do it and if their neighbors would do it, the whole state would do it. The whole country would do it. We'd, we'd, we'd grow so much. We, we couldn't even imagine it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because it, it brings me to something else I wanted to talk about later. I think I'll save it for later of some of the criticisms of the way you farm, but we'll get to that later. Let's, let's stick on this grass thing for a minute. Um, so your animals are grass fed uh, factory farms, you know, Tyson foods, all these places, they're not grass feeding their animals. Why should that matter to the consumer? Why should we care? Yeah. So uh, let, let, right at the outset, we need to differentiate between herbivores and omnivores. So, you know, we're back to like sixth grade biology, right? Yeah. Herbivores, herbivores eat forages, omnivores eat meat and forages. And so uh, chickens and pigs are omnivores. Uh, you know, that that's, uh, I mean, it gives you pause. I tell, you know, my kindergartners and kids that come to visit, they want to go in with the pigs. I say, sure, sure, go in with the pigs. 
they'll they'll have be, but but keep moving you know yeah. because same yeah same with the chickens that we had we had yeah. backyard city chickens for a while yeah and when my youngest were little like they would they would peck at my little boy yeah. like they're, Ab- they're definitely testing him out to see if he was you yeah. know dinner sized yeah so, that's yeah. right that's right i mean th- there's a reason why the mafia keeps pig farms you know right um, yeah <laughs> best way to dispose but, of a body yeah. i've learned that right. from some movie I'm not sure. yeah yeah but herbivores herbivores of course um don't eat um you know don't eat meat don't eat grains uh they're they're basically a fermentation tank they're a uh they're they're a, they're a portable sauerkraut vat and so um and so to feed the herbivores you know in, in nature in nature herbivores don't eat you know grains and meat and things like that and um and they're actually you know they eat uh, vegetation and so um what happens is when you when you feed the herbivore an unnatural uh, uh, thing like you know grains or or chicken manure, which a lot of people feed. Um, it, hey, it, you said chicken manure. Chicken manure, yeah, what yeah. Is, they, what is that? Well, you know what chicken manure is, okay? Chicken so, shit. They feed the cows yes, chicken. Ab- absolutely. Oh yeah, our neighbor neighbor does. They got they got you know big. Um, confinement chicken houses and uh, they mix they mix the chicken manure in with the you know with the uh, silage and you know feed it to the cows in the feedlot whoa that's what so they're feed the they're feeding cows mm-hmm. grains mixed with chicken shit yeah yeah the cows are eating it. that and we're eating the cows so we're yeah. we're eating we're eating chicken shit yeah 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 we're, that's right. so we're all that's chicken right. shit Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah, yeah. So so there that's disgusting. All right. Yeah, go it, on. It, well, it, it is disgusting. Um, but it, but it's but it's cheap, you know, it's cheap and and um and so it it does it does affect the nutritional quality of the meat, the all the enzymes, the fatty acids and all the you know the the stuff in it, as well as being you know an ecological problem. So there are a lot of reasons to to go to the um, you know, nature's template on an herbivore, which is for forage based, grass based, um, and 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 let the let the omnivores, you know, uh, have the grains and the other things. Yeah, absolutely. I also read um, that they used to feed cows other cows. They would feed cows dead cows, and they believe that's what started uh, mad cow disease, possibly. And that 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 wasn't something they were like doing on the down low. That was legal, like something the government. Oh yeah, encouraged like they're oh. encouraging cannibalism. Yeah, listen, um, Matt, I, I can remember, I can remember <clears throat> back uh, what forty years ago when this was first, you know, introduced. The government, the Extension Service, would host dinners for farmers like me to teach us this new scientific way of feeding cows, which was feeding dead cows to cows, and this was, you know, this was the thing, and. And, what's, uh, what's scientific about that? Who's who's putting forth the science? Like everybody knows, like you know, humans. You don't sleep with your cousin because you make a retarded baby. You, you don't feed a cow a cow. Something's gonna go wrong. Where's yeah. was there actual science? Uh, well, no. I mean, it was just feeding trials, and uh, and so they you know they found a, it was it was cheap, cheap cheap to cheap to do cheap to feed, and, and and so you know so farmers like me who opposed it, you know, we were labeled you know, um, Neanderthal, what, you know, um, anti-science, you know, you don't want, uh, anti-progress, you know, you got all the regular things. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. Where have we heard that? And, and then, you know, here 40 years or 30 years later, suddenly, 
you know, and, and look, I didn't know there was going to be mad cow. I mean, I, I don't think any of us who opposed it could, you know, could foresee that there, what, what was going to happen, but it was enough for us to look around the planet and say, where does an herbivore eat meat? You know, and, and they don't. And so for me, that was enough. That was yeah. enough. You know, that, that was the regular, that was the template. And, and um, of course, you know, when you're, when you come from a mechanistic, uh, you know, viewpoint toward biology, then, you know, anything's, it's just, it's just inter- interchangeable parts. So it doesn't matter. Man. Yeah. Um, so one thing I also saw on your website is that your farms, you have cameras everywhere, which gives full transparency, which is, which is awesome because uh, I know that at these factory farms, uh, Tyson farms and whatever, that's the first one coming to mind. It's illegal. It's an actual crime in America to go one of these mega factory farms. And, and if you travel North from Los Angeles and you're going to San Francisco, it's nothing but cow country up there. Like you're going to see going through Fresno and these cities, just right. Just acres and acres of these factory farms where so much of the United States food comes from. You cannot go into one of those and take a picture. You will be arrested. The government will prosecute you for going onto a farm and taking a picture. And the reason for that is the way these animals are raised is not only so cruel, but so gross um, and such a threat to our food population that they don't want you to know. Um, And, this is our government. They don't, they don't want you to know what's going on in these farms where we are getting the food to nourish our children. These, these animals are literally being poisoned and the government is helping them cover that up. And you're taking these poisoned animals and feeding them to your kids. How important is the transparency you're giving? And is there any kind of movement to enforce transparency at farms nationwide? Oh, uh, not really. In fact, in fact, um, it's it's becoming more and more difficult to uh, to get on the farms and you'll see them. You know, they have no trespassing signs all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and a lot of that now, uh, Matt, is done uh, in the, in the name of biosecurity. Uh, we, we've got to You know, we've got to keep uh, for biosecurity, keep viruses out and keep, you know, all this <laughs> stuff out. And um and, uh, you know, um, the, I mean, that, that's, that's what they say in their press releases. Um, but uh, the, the truth is, well, Michael Pollan, when he wrote Omnivore's Dilemma, which was a New York Times bestseller, you know, he said that if all, if all factory farms had glass walls, it would fundamentally the, change the way Americans eat. And he's exactly mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, when you get into these battery cage chicken houses, you get into these hog, uh, facilities, these confinement dairies, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's atrocious and, 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 and it's, it's, it's completely disrespectful of the animal because, um, you know, here at our farm, we, we believe the pigness should be able to, the pig should be able to express its pigness. We want to honor the pigness of the pig. And, and, um, and we think that that creates an ethical moral uh, framework on which all of society then hangs a respect for the madness of Matt, the merriness of Mary, the Thomas of Tom. Right. Um, and, And if we don't start by respecting the pigness of the pigs, then, then if we only see life uh, through a, you know, through a glass of that is just inanimate piles of protoplasmic structure to be manipulated, however cleverly uh, hubris can imagine to manipulate it, 
pretty soon we're going to view our we're going to view each other and the citizens the same way and and a, and a culture that views its animals and plants in that kind of uh of of mechanistic approach will very soon begin viewing its citizens in a mechanistic approach in a manipulative mechanistic yeah, that's approach that's already starting yeah absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. it is yeah. 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 I mean, well, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Right. So we're, we're seeing that sure. like with, let's say, uh, Ukraine versus Yemen. There's atrocities going on in Yemen. A half a million to a million people have been murdered. Our government's involved in that. Nobody gives a shit because because we don't see it out of sight, out of mind. Everybody's all bent out of shape about it, the Ukraine. Bad things are going on there, too. But we're seeing one. We're not seeing the other. If people like you said, if these farms were made of glass and people saw what was going on in them, the next day, everybody would either be vegetarian or they would be demanding transparent transparency because yeah. it's horrific. So out of sight, out of mind. And I and the government knows that these farms know this and it's sure it's awful. Um, you guys use earthworms to keep the soil healthy. Mm-hmm. Does that is that in lieu of fertilizer or does that uh, <laughs> what, what, what what's the earthworm? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, f- fair enough. So. So um, as you're watching the news right now, you're seeing uh, ammonium nitrate, all the news reports, fertilizers up what, for 400%, all these supply chain yeah. issues, all these things. So, so there, are two, there are two very divergent schools of thought about soil fertility. Um, I, I think we all agree that soil fertility is good. Okay. Soil fertility is important. All right. So there's two schools of thought. One is that soil is fundamentally an inert substance that you, you can IV chemicals into like a, like an intravenous, uh, uh, thing and, mm-hmm. and, and chemicals and, and the soil is just something that holds up plants and, and we just, you know, IV chemicals into the plants and that's the way it works. The other school of thought is that soil is fundamentally a living community of beings. And we now know that a a double handful of healthy soil has more beings in it than there are people on the face of the earth per double handful. Yes, absolutely. It's like like 9 billion billion critters per double handful of healthy soil. Wow. And and in fact, we've only named 10% of them. Um, so 90% are unnamed and we don't know what they do. That, that's how little we know about well, the well, soil. Well, soil is mostly, I mean, might all be mostly dead stuff, right? That's what soil is. It's things that lived and died and decomposes. Isn't that what well, soil is? Well, I mean, yeah, the humus and all that. But 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 um, actually, uh, a, a huge, you know, uh, more than half of it, of, of good, healthy soil is actually living living things from earthworms to roly polies to actinomycetes fungi you know mycelium and all these things and and so there's there's this massive community of beings uh in the soil that are that are biological as opposed to just mechanical and so um i adhere to that school of thought that the soil is fundamentally a living thing not an inert thing and so um so what we want to do is feed the biology, and um, and the biology will 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 take care of itself. For example, let me give you an example. There's a bacteria called Azotobacter bacteria. Azotobacter bacteria. I mean, they all have these you know weird Latin names. All right. So Azotobacter bacteria is a bacteria that can that can pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere and put it in the soil. Now, nitrogen wow. is one of the key you know one of the key fertilizers, right? Yes. And, but but here's the Even problem. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you know that. Even a city slicker knows that, right? So, so, but the problem, the problem is that as Odobacter goes dormant at at less than four percent organic matter. So when the soil organic matter gets low enough, the Azotobacter just basically hibernate. They 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 just stop. Okay, and and they they like when it gets over four percent, then they resurrect again. Okay, and so. Um, and so this is why uh, farmers like me, our whole approach to fertility is not dump on bagfuls of 10-10-10 imported from Russia. Our goal is to put on um, organic matter, carbon, leaves, sticks, you know, uh, wood chips, manure. I mean, if, if, it's, if, if it's been alive and it can decompose, it goes on the soil and, and that actually feeds the the biology in the soil which then the biology then does all this wonderful work for us yes it's kind of the i I come from a healthcare arena and it's kind of the the newer approach to healthcare to being more conservative and instead of doing surgery whenever there's a problem letting helping the body to heal itself do things that will help the human body to heal itself and it's a much more effective way for healthcare it's it's kind of that's what it's making me think of with this farming instead of injecting doing surgery to the soil, let the soil heal itself by giving it the nutrients it needs. It's, it, it makes sense, but it also sounds like it might be, I don't know, is, is, is it more expensive to do it that way? Why don't they all do it that way? Oh, well, um, you know, in the past, it's been a little more expensive to do it that way because you have all sorts of, you know, government subsidies and programs and, mm. and, and, and special tax concessions, all sorts of things to, to um, artificially cheapen the cost of the chemical approach. Yes. What's fascinating to me right now in, in the time that we're living in, what's fascinating is that these, that these cheap, the, these cheap uh, chemical inputs are, are, that have been touted as, you know, efficient are suddenly showing up as being fragile. Mm-hmm. And so, and so um, what we're hearing now is the need to be resilient. So how do you, how do you become resilient? Well, you become resilient by not being dependent on Russia, by not being dependent on, on petroleum, by not being on these things. And just like, just like um, your, your first, you know, your first defense in health is to build your own immune system. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but, but no, no, you know, uh, Fauci, Fauci never steps to the microphone and says, Hey, America, Hey America, let's um let's take a week and build our immune system. Not right? once. Not, not once. Not once. Never, never, you know. And and so, you know, if you if you had a national recipe, I'm not talking about, you know, regulations. I'm not talking about age. I'm just saying use the bully pulpit to to encourage immune building. All right. Mm-hmm. So we could say everybody quit drinking soft drinks, you know, uh, for a week, we're just not going to drink any soft drinks. We're not going to eat any junk food, fast food, junk. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to cook real food in our kitchens and yeah. we're going to actually eat real food that has a label, uh, that's so simple. You can actually pronounce what's on the label. Right. And, and then, then we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to sleep eight hours a night. We're gonna we're gonna work up a sweat for twenty minutes a day. Exercise. We're gonna get out in the sun for twenty minutes a day, and we're gonna drink a half gallon of water because everybody's dehydrated, and and um, 
you know, and, and we're going to quit, quit watching the news. We're going to watch the news for one hour a week and we're going to watch comedy for five hours a week because, mm-hmm. you know, to laugh your head off. Right. And then mm-hmm. finally, we're going to make a list of all the people you hate and, and forgive them, you know, to, to, to get all that stress and hatred out of your life. I mean, can you imagine a recipe like that, you know, a, a, as a national whatever? Uh, well, you're, ta- you're talking about healthy living and this this country <laughs> is there's no personal responsibility for one's health here. We're now in a culture that, you know, you can't say someone's fat because you're fat phobic. Um, Not once did Fauci say, instead of locking everybody up for two months and shutting down the beaches and gyms, should have made everybody go to the beaches and gym and lock up the fucking sugar in McDonald's. That's, (laughs) you know, but they're not interested in helping people better themselves. They're interested in making people more dependent on them. We cover that every show as boring topic. Let's not even get into that. Let's stay focused on the prize here. I just bought a cow for my family. Um, I've, I've mentioned it three podcasts in a row because I'm very proud of myself for buying this cow. Um, uh, but I paid $4,000 for the cow last year. I could have gotten one for under 3000. How much is a cow going to cost someone next year? Oh my boy. That's one thing I don't do. I don't, I don't prophesy. I don't, I don't have a clue. I mean, the, as, as what, I, what I'll tell you is this, what I'll tell you is this. Um, obviously you bought that cow. You didn't buy a live cow. You bought packages. Well, I mean, by the time it gets to me, it'll be in packages. Yeah. 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 Like okay. <laughs> I set up a, a cow in my backyard in Redondo Beach. No. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So, so you, you got packages. All yeah. right. So, so you, you, you just did, you just voted uh, with your food dollar to, to, um, you just disempowered and disentangled yourself from the corporate system. That's the and idea. so, 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 um, you know, I don't know how much they're going to cost next year. I, I will tell you this, that the the price differential between, you know, uh, uh, conventional orthodox supermarket junk and the kind of animal that I'm sure that you purchased, um, the, the difference in price is becoming less and less, um, less and less different uh, be, because, because that system, the, the, the orthodox conventional system is so dependent on long range supply chains, you know, fertilizer from foreign countries, you know, uh, petroleum, those kinds of things. And so I'm, I'm more excited right now about where, about where um, ecological farming is, is positioned than I've ever been because, you know, all we need is sunlight. You know, this is a solar driven farm. And, and the, the fertility is driven by our own carbon. So we have a chipper, we, we chip up, you know, we do large scale composting that we turn with pigs, letting animals do the work. Um, uh, you know, we, the, the, the level, the amount of petroleum that we use, you know, per, per food item is, uh, you know, is, is, is probably 20% of what, you know, the average, you know, the average farm uh, does mm-hmm. right. now. Now, now we, we do we do uh, spend more on labor because it takes more management. So mm-hmm. we have more we have more people. So it's not actually in aggregate; it's not cheaper. Um, but but the the money the money is going to um, you know to real time proximate things as opposed to far off 
segregated inputs. It's a much more integrated approach as opposed to a segregated approach. So we're all about putting the pieces together instead of trying to keep the pieces apart. And I think that that's that's a metaphor that people can kind of get their heads around. It just it just makes sense that that every morsel of food right now in America, the average morsel of food travels 1500 miles from field to plate. Um, in, in 19, like a bad plan. It is. In 1946, that average was 40 miles. Think about it. 1946, really? wow. the average was 40 miles. Today is 1500. And, and so, so they, they say that they say that, that it's not sustainable. This, uh, these local farms, I, I've read a lot of articles stating that it's not sustainable, but it sounds like we were doing it in the forties. So that doesn't really add up. It was sustainable yeah. then. Yeah, no, no. Um, what, what you're, what you're saying is a lot of, is a lot of corporate propaganda yeah. to, um, you know, to, to prop up themselves again, they're, they're talking about, um, you know, scale and efficiency. Well, what's happened, as you know, with with COVID and everything, what's happened is that large entities have now uh, 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 have now uh, indicated a new fragility versus small entities. So, big processing facilities, uh, um, you know, big uh, big sawmills. Um, you know, big outfits where that you know where there's you know two thousand people in a in a building uh, fabricating something, those are now much more fragile than small shops that don't have so many people crowded in one place that that, that are just that are just um, uh, much much smaller. I mean, mm-hmm. I view I view us so so we're we're running a speedboat versus an aircraft carrier, and when you have when you have disturbing elements. In, in in cultural evolution, like we have right now, you have black swan events and you've got things going on. When you have when you have a lot of rocks and shoals and disturbing water, you don't want to be in an aircraft carrier. You want to right, be in a right. speedboat that you can maneuver around. And mm-hmm. so that's that's one reason why, you know, uh, Tyson in the last 12 months increased their beef prices 32 percent in, in the last 12 months. We we only increased ours 5 percent. Why? Yeah, because yeah. We're, we're we're a little speedboat, you know, and we're able to navigate a lot better. And, and so, you know, I've never been more excited uh, about where we are. How much will that cow cost next year? I don't have a clue. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to the economy. Um, I, I just I don't know what's going to happen. You mentioned Yemen. Uh, I mean, there, there's how many hot spots are there all over the world? They're they're all over the place, right? Eight we're, or nine we're, that I can count. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 for sure, for sure, your most resilient decision is to patronize a food source, patronize provenance that is as disentangled from the mm-hmm. system as possible. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, everything you've said so far, um, you sound like an you sound like you care about the environment quite a bit, and right. you're a libertarian, right. and and people yep. have this idea that libertarians don't care about protecting the environment that, that, you know, and I can only think that, that the reason people think that is we must be mad, bad at getting our message out because libertarians are hunters, fishermen, farmers, outdoorsmen. Like there's not a group of people that the environment is more valuable to than libertarians. It's, it's definitely environment. They're definitely important to a guy like you. So what the problem, the problem isn't that we don't care about the environment. It's that we know that government is the cause of the problems in the environment. Government regulations make it hard for small farms like yours to yeah. compete. 
And then you have uh, corporations like Tyson Foods who become these monoliths that swallow everything up. And if you get the government out of the way and you get the regulations out of the way, guys like you and and you're you're getting pretty big now. But the the guy down the street who just wants to start out, he can get it going and then it is sustainable and then it is cheaper. So so how can how can our community do a better job of showing that, yes, we do care about the environment? Uh, so, so I, I would say there are, there are several things that, that can be done as a, as a group. Uh, one thing is on the libertarian platform, um, there needs to be a couple of planks about stewardship, about uh, environmental stewardship. Uh, there, there aren't any. Um, basically, libertarians, and, and, and I am one, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking. Um, to me, this is one of the this is one of the Achilles' heels of the libertarian movement is that it its its environmental agenda has been aimed at poo pooing the tree hugger, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, greeny weeny, you know, green new deal, blah blah blah, um, uh, uh, poo pooing that rather than endorsing and promoting a stewardship ethic. How do we hydrate the landscape? How do we develop soil? How do we, how do we build these things? And, um, and, 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 and too often um, the libertarians who would, I mean, I, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll just, this is a very practical example, actually. Um, let, let's take, let's take Monsanto when they developed uh, GMOs, uh, mm-hmm. genetically modified organisms. Okay. So the libertarians, were really aggressive about defending Monsanto's right to develop GMOs. Okay, and I mean that's that's uh, scientific inquiry. It's it's uh, innovation and all that. And libertarians are all about you know innovation, creativity, and 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 you know individual whatever expression. You know I want to yes, uh, yeah. go go find new things. Okay, and so so um, so here 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 I have all these you know um, you know liberal environmentalist friends. And they're looking at me saying, you know, how can you be a libertarian and 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 defend Monsanto developing GMOs? And so my answer, so uh, my answer was, well, what libertarians need to do is defend Monsanto's uh, right to develop GMOs. But but the flip side of that is, if they're patented, if they're patented life forms trespass on my farm that's that's a trespass and should be treated as a property rights a, a property rights trespass yes so 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 that that creates um um imagine imagine if all the magistrates magistrates in the country um it, 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 instead of of defending gmos if instead the libertarian movement pushed them to defend property rights, yes, that way that way Monsanto can develop it. All right, mm-hmm. they've got the freedom. That's fine. Let them develop it, but they've got to keep it off my farm. Instead, what we had in the court system was was not only would magistrates not not uh, uh, you know litigate against Monsanto for trespass. They actually took the side of Monsanto that if their if their beings got on my farm and adulterated yes. my crops, I was. It, it's like Matt. It, it would be. It would be yes. like like it, like if I had a bull. If I had a bull and I didn't keep him at home, and that bull went over onto your 
onto your lawn and and tore up all your you know prized rose bushes and 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 azaleas and and you know daylilies. Can you imagine going down to the magistrate and saying, "Hey, you know this neighbor's bull. He just came in and tore up my flower beds. I I, I want you know I want um uh, you know a remedy here. Yeah, I want compensation here." And the magistrate says. No, not only am I not going to uh, uh, prosecute for trespass, I'm. You need to pay him for the privilege of his bull tearing up your flower beds. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. That's, and that's exa- that's exactly yeah, so- what happened. But and and the libertarian community was largely silent on that. I think if the libertarian community had come in as at, on on the side of property rights on this, mm-hmm. suddenly they would have opened up the eyes of the environmentalists, the liberal environmentalists who were wanting regulations and agency and bureaucracy and all that would have opened their eyes say, Oh, there's another way to create balance in the system. Yeah. And, and I think it would have been, would have been a very, a very different. Yeah. Thing. I think the problem is you, you say they, they, it's so much fun to make fun <laughs> of these tree yeah. huggers, right? Yeah. It's fun to sure. make fun of them. So libertarians, sure kind of do that but property rights is one of the core tenets of liberty absolutely in other words instead of making fun of these people Mm -hmm. it's i'm reading dale carnegie's book uh how to win friends and influence people and it, it teaches you how to communicate your ideas to others and part of it is you know you empathize with them you empathize yes. with with the uh, these greenies and say yes we care about those trees because we do we care about those trees I understand why you care about those trees. I care about those trees. Yeah. But let's look at why those trees are in danger. And it's not because of us. It's because of these regulations, government. It's because government has taken a side. So if we can get government out of the picture, if government caused a problem, we can't have government solve it. If we get them out of the picture, we can help the trees. On our yeah. Own. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're exactly, you're exactly right. And, and, um, uh, you know, in general, the, um, the the libertarian movement has also not not very often used the word the commons. Um, you can go to any libertarian convention and you will not hear the word commons used. That's a uh, but but you know there are commons and and this idea that uh, it's mine, I can do with it whatever I want to. Um, that's true to a point. I mean, but but the but the commons, um, it, it, you know, it, it's not it's not acceptable for me to pollute the river it's not acceptable for me to um to to send chemicals into into the aquifer into the, right. or, or to or to deplete the aquifer all right and so uh the, that's the point that's is, an that's that's an aggression upon that goes to the non-aggression principle you're aggressing yes. upon someone else you if you take a shit in the river that's affecting my water supply if i'm downriver from you so that's an yeah. aggression right and, and so so what the libertarians need to do to encourage is um, is kind of um, well, it, it, it's it's the English common law idea where if the I mean the whole idea of the common law uh, w- developed from encroachment of the lords and the noble the nobility the royalty encroaching on the commons, which was where the peasants had their milk cow and 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 you know were able to to deal with the it, it was it was non royalty land okay mm-hmm. and and the peasants that that gave the peasants uh some some mutton and some milk and you know things for them to eat and and um 
And so if if a lord, if a nobleman, if a royalty encroached on that commons, the peasants could bring that nobility into the court, and the court then um, what got you know got rid of that that nobleman, you know, told him, look, you 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 can't go over there. So imagine if the libertarians would encourage um, not not bureaucracy, not EPA, not that, but actual personal, uh, redress. Okay. So hey, I'm, I, 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 I go out and I, I measure, I measure and I've got uh, dioxin in my river. Okay. Uh, well, where's it coming from? And, and we find that, well, it's this, it's this chemical company right up river. Okay. So, so let's, let's go through, uh, through common law that's been established for centuries, not bureaucracy, not EPA, not government, and actually as person to person seeking redress for the commons, which is what jurisprudence was built on, you know, Mm -hmm. for centuries. And um, so what what I think, I think, I think if there were some effort to cultivate that as, as a theme thematically within the libertarian movement, I think that it would build incredible um, emotional equity, emotional equity bridges with um with the environmental community yeah and- i think you're right i'm gonna i'm gonna i've not heard a lot about the commons i'm actually gonna read about that because what you're saying that that makes sense and that's kind of like it seems like a stepping stone right between yeah. because some libertarians they go so far with um abolish government completely you know anarchy sure. i don't know this this seems like something more palatable i'm gonna read about that um i wanted to i wanted to bring up um changing topics a little bit because we have a limited amount of time but i read a piece uh last night in mother jones magazine you maybe you, you're aware of the piece maybe not but it challenged your uh sustainable farming methods stating that farms like yours could not feed poor black folk in inner cities uh and scaling up requires a lot of capital um to feed those people it, it would require scaling up which requires a lot of capital so i guess he thinks our inner cities would go hungry if the factory farms disappeared and all the farms were local farms and the author states that people are only willing to pay a certain amount of, of money for food and that your methods make the food more costly you've already cha- you've already um addressed the cost of the food um i would argue that if people are not willing to pay a certain amount for food, it's because they can't afford to, and they can't afford to because government has made the wealth gap explode in the last hundred years, and then they regulate competition out of business, and then these monopolies provide super cheap food for the poor, and that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, the government impoverishes people, then wipes out the competition, and now those people can only afford McDonald's or Walmart or you know Tyson chickens. So he may be right that people are only willing to pay so much, but he's not addressing how we got here or what the solution is. Um, what am I asking? Why don't you like black people? Because that was the gist of the article. That your type of farming is bad for black people. Uh, well, um, uh, boy, that's a that's a landmine. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, but that, I, 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 that was the I, I, okay. All right, let, 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 let me piece it. Let me take it piece it this way. Um, and this this will be very politically incorrect, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it anyway because I think it's it's the truth. Whenever somebody tells me I can't afford your food, I grab them by the hand and say, "Take me to your house right now. Let's go to your house." And I'm sure here's what we're not gonna find: we're not gonna find alcohol or cigarettes or lottery <laughs> tickets. We're not gonna find 
uh, you know, a flat screen TV. We're not going to find yeah, iPhones. Yeah. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to find uh, um, breakfast uh, uh, box, breakfast cereal. We're not going to find takeout pizza. We're not going to find fast food wrappers from Burger King and McDonald's. <laughs> Those are very, very expensive. Um, are you with me? All right. Yes. So, so, so the, the fact, the fact is that, that very few, and, and I'm saying few, um, the, the number of people, quote unquote, in poverty in this country through, through completely no fault of their own is actually extremely small, yes. extremely small. And, and the majority of people under the poverty line, goodness, Teresa and I, my wife and I, we've been under the poverty line most of our lives. Uh, but, you know, we have a big garden. We, you know, we have our own milk and our own uh, beef and our own chicken and our own eggs. And I mean, you know, and, and, and we, we get thrift store clothes and we don't go anywhere. And, and, you know, we, we live great on, you know, on a small amount of money. In fact, I encourage people to see how little they can live on rather than how, see how much you can make, see mm -hmm. how little you can live on because then you don't have to pay taxes and you, you cut off the, you know, you cut off the stream to the, you know, to the, to the government. But, but anyway, that's, that's another, another topic. The, the point I'm making is that, that, um, that in, in general, the majority of people listed as impoverished, are simply making bad economic choices or they, or they don't have, you know, a good work ethic, whatever like that. Okay. So, so if, if, if we, if we, the point is that if we get rid of all that, then the numbers are so low that we can't even imagine the kind of philanthropy, the kind of creative solutions that would come to the truly deserving, you know, to the deserving few. Now, that being said, there are a lot of things that you can do to reduce the cost. For example, that cow that you bought, if you went, if you went and bought that, not as a whole cow, but as, as pieces, like uh, I want a T-bone steak, you know, so you mm. buy that this week. Next week, uh, I want a ribeye steak, so I'll buy that next week. You would pay $6,000 instead of $4,000 sure, for that sure, animal, yeah, at least, all right? And so one of the one of the quickest ways to reduce food costs is to buy in volume and buy unprocessed processed. I mean, uh, um, 90 percent of all the food grown uh, sold in a supermarket is processed food. Very, very little of it is unprocessed and, and, and processing. Not only does it uh, devitalize it nutritionally because it's all about shelf life and, you know, and and. Mm -hmm. Uh, sugar and and seasonings, but but it's it's extremely extremely expensive. And so um, the number one thing you can do to reduce cost is get in your kitchen. Well, people say, well, I don't have time to get in my kitchen. Yes, you do. You know, turn off the TV. You don't need a TV. We don't have a TV yeah. in our house. And and and, and so so you, you make these life you make these life choices. And um, and, and, and what, if, it, it if comes it's down important. To, do you do? Yeah, people people don't have great priorities. They don't have great priorities. Like what you put in your body really matters. It, it matters for like, we are just a big bag of chemicals and biology. You know, if you, if you shoot heroin in your veins, right. you feel a certain way. If you 
eat a bag of heroin, you feel a certain way. If you eat a sugar donut, you feel a certain way. If you eat a grass-fed cow, you feel a certain way. It's it's yeah. hugely important. So if it costs a little bit more, that might be something you want to prioritize over, you know, your your sugar crisps cereal or whatever. Like yeah. Americans have bad priorities. That doesn't go to people in the inner cities. That goes to people everywhere in America. Everywhere. That's just yeah. American. So it's not a racial thing. Yeah. Um, I had, I had a lady, I had a lady stop me at the farmer's market. She says, what? $5 a dozen for eggs. I would never spend $5 a dozen on eggs. She was holding a, a diet, a diet cola, a diet that soda. She spent two bucks for it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I said, I said, ma'am, there's more nutrition in one of my eggs than a tractor trailer load of that, that diet drink, your, your, that diet yes. soda that, that you're holding. So, um, yeah, you know, in, in my world, there wouldn't even be a soft drink trade. I mean, it would, it just, it just wouldn't even exist. I was, I, you know, I got on the Metro. I was, I was the worst testing. thing you can put in your body is soft drinks. Absolutely, I mean, the absolutely. worst thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was, I was uh, getting on the Metro in DC one day and this guy gets on me, weighs, you know, 300 pounds. He's got a, he's got a, a great big, you know, uh, um, 80, 80 ounce uh, soft drink. He's got a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. He's got a, a big bag of taco chips, you know, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, under whose idea of, of justice and fairness am I supposed to be responsible for his health? Yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. That's no. not a good system at all. Um, I mean, you got to you got to have a society, you got to have some cooperation, but uh, you don't know that guy. Right. There's there's yeah. better ways to make that happen. There's better ways to protect that guy than let him do whatever he wants. And then the, his ills fall on all of society. It just That's encourages right. bad yeah. behavior like that. Yeah. Um, if let's say let's say Joel Salatin wins the argument and tomorrow they shut down Tyson Foods. And I believe there's like four farms who own all the farms. And I believe I, I've read this week that Bill Gates owns most of the farmland in America, which kind of blew my mind because I didn't know he was a farmer. Anyway, you win the argument, they shut down these farms and it's going to be Joel Salatin type of farms all over America. How do we get places like Los Angeles? How do we get those people fed? What happens? Do cities, would cities just have to spread out naturally or what actually happens? Uh, oh, it's a, so what a, what a great question. So what happens is, is, is massive integration. For example, I'll give you an example. Uh, a lady named Pat Foreman wrote a book uh, called City Chicks. It's a clever title. It's, it's about backyard chickens and ur urban backyard chickens. All right. Mm -hmm. and, and she talks about a town in Belgium uh, several years ago in Europe. And this town offered three chickens to any household that wanted them in the in the town. Two thousand families, you know, raised their hands, says, "Yeah, we'll take three chickens." So the town bought six thousand chickens and dispersed them three apiece to these two thousand households. And in the first month, in the first month, it dropped landfill uh, poundage by a hundred tons wow. because all those food scraps were going to the chickens. And so, wow. and so. So, so what a system, you know, if, if I want the argument, um, the, the first thing would be a highly integrated system where we didn't, where we didn't isolate all these things. We actually, we actually had a, you know, imagine every restaurant with, you know, with, with, with 20 chickens outside the back door, the chickens would lay the eggs, the food scraps would go to the chickens 
And it's a complete, it's a complete cycle. I mean, ecosystem no, right there. It's, yeah. it's a complete ecosystem and, and, and nothing even goes on a, on an electric. You no, know, now we don't, we can't run a diesel truck. So it's got on an electric garbage truck to go to a landfill uh, where it's, it's composted and gets a greenie award for composting. No, the greenie award is you don't put it on a truck anywhere. You don't compost it anywhere. You, you feed it right back to the chickens. And so, so you know, the same thing can be done with dairy, with whey. Um, and you, you start, you start integrating the entire food system, um, and, and 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 for example, California, California feeds California. Right now, the almond groves in California uh, suck up so much water and mm-hmm. so much land that, that that California can't even feed itself. But right, but the it, ninety. I, I read something like ninety nine percent of the world's almond production yeah. comes from California. So yeah. that's where all the water's going. It's like a it's, gallon of water for one freaking little almond. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we got a drought. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's massive. And, and so, uh, and the same thing is true with, for example, um, you know, the, uh, the greens, uh, all the, the stuff that gets shipped from, you know, California to Maine in the winter for, you know, mescaline mix and, and, and salad mixes and things, you know, if, if, if every, if every house and every building, uh, north of the Mason or north of, of Louisiana and, and, you know, mid Georgia, you know, everything that, that got frost, if every, every building had a solarium on the South side, we could grow. I mean, our house was built in 1790. It's an old American chestnut log cabin. We have a state of the art solarium on the South side. We grow, we can grow lettuce and, and, and kale. And uh, I mean, we can't grow you know tomatoes in the winter, but we can grow cool, hearty stuff all winter, fresh greens, you, you every single building and household could could grow all their own greens and now california doesn't have to ship this across the country you shut down the trucks the 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 farms in california could feed the the people in california and the and the people in in burlington vermont they all have these solariums on the side of their house that adds passive passive heat to the house, lets them grow their own winter greens. There's no trucks, there's no petroleum, there's no trucking, and everybody eats from their own thing. So, so and so, you just start, solved the the carbon problem. All, and you, exactly, you just yeah. solved the carbon problem, and and we, we don't even we don't even need electric trucks. We don't but, need the roads. This, you know? this is how idiotic government is. I told you we had backyard chickens. We had. Our chickens were illegal renegade backyard chickens because you're not allowed to have backyard chickens here. You need some kind of permit and it's impossible to get a permit for anything in this godforsaken state. So, yeah, yeah, something that people can do for themselves easily. Get some chickens, have some eggs. The chick, you don't need to do anything to take care of chickens. Like you said, we throw our leftovers out there. They eat that. And then the next thing in the morning, we got some eggs. Everybody (laughs) could be doing that. Yes, it's it's easy. But government doesn't allow it because you know government no, no, well they, they you know they, they say they say well you know the chickens make manure well let me tell you um one one average american dog produces as much manure as nine chickens so until you get to nine chickens you're not even producing as much manure as an average dog and dog manure is way worse than chicken manure i mean dog manure is nasty chicken manure is sure is, is i mean you can side dress your potted plants um, or, or your, 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 your pot plant, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, play on words there, but, but yeah, I mean, fundamentally, fundamentally, 
what I'm describing is an, an integrated, highly, you know, symbiotic uh, uh, type of approach. You simply cannot, you simply cannot have a food system where it costs 15 calories of energy to put one calorie on your plate. In 1940. Wow, is that the, is, wait, yes, say, say yeah. that again for everybody. Is that factual? In, 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 yeah, in 1940, it cost one calorie of energy to put a calorie on your plate. Today, it costs 15 calories of energy to put one calorie on your plate. Well, I mean, I'm not a math genius, but that seems like a lot. And that <laughs> seems like that, that seems like we're we're using 15 times the energy we need to use. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, about about uh, about four of those calories are transportation. You know, they they get broken down in in different things, but. Uh, again, it's symptomatic of thinking that fertility, that, that my fertility on my farm is produced in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, How, yeah. You know, that's absurd. That's absurd. That's it's not it's not even it's not even intuitively reasonable that the, the, um, the, the nature nature has has put this together so that you you can have this. And, and, and listen, all this notion that fertility comes from somewhere else, you know, from a laboratory, from a, you know, sophisticated petroleum techno glitzy place or, or beyond beef or impossible burger, you know, engineered food, all this stuff. Ultimately, oh, all, all of that is incredibly disempowering to the individual, because if I have grass, I can have a cow out here and make my own milk. I, I can make my own, I can have my own tomato plant, but, but, but in, in bioengineered chemically fertilized food, the individual, me, I'm dependent on somebody else, some some laboratory, some some thing out there mm -hmm. to deal with, and, and and it's completely disempowering to the average person to be dependent on those techno sophisticated systems. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, if you don't win the argument, we're all going to be eating uh, fake meat and bugs and and lentils for the rest of our lives. So, so I hope your message gets across. I, I hope. I hope people listen. I hope people get involved in, in making this kind of change. I hope people start taking responsibility for their own health and their own food source and start doing things like getting backyard chickens, regardless of what the California government says. Like, yeah. we got to start taking care of ourselves. You had me at the fact that we're, we're in this proxy war with Russia and we now can't get fertilizers. So fertilizers going up by 800%, but it turns out all we need are some fucking worms. Like, yeah. That's, that's mind blowing. Like, come on, come on. Um, this has been a great interview. Thank you so much. If people want to uh, either get food from your farm, how can they do that? Or if they want to learn how to do more of this themselves, I understand you've written a lot of books. Where can they find those books? Sure. So yeah, so we do, we do ship nationally. Uh, and all you got to do is get on our website, Polyface Farms, P-O-L-Y-F-A-C-E. If you put poly about if about time you get to poly, it'll pop up the rest of it. Um, and, and Polyface Yum is the is the um, is the, the order place. But, it, but on the website, it'll it'll you know, if you want to get something, you can get something. Um, and, 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 and try it and see what you think. And then and then start you know, you can start finding it, you know, maybe closer to you, another supplier We're we're not interested in building an empire where we want to empower people to, to, you know, to eat well and, and, and do well by themselves. But uh, certainly distribution has changed a lot. And, and uh, the, the, uh, the contactless, the, the lack of bricks and mortar, um, you know, is, is, a, is a, is a interesting, certainly an interesting phenomenon here at retail. Mm -hmm. um, 
I have written uh, uh, 15 books and uh, wow. the last one was poly polyface micro. And uh, it's how to have success with livestock on a small scale, like, you know, in a backyard. I even have one chapter on how to have rabbits and chickens in a Manhattan apartment. So, hmm. um, so, so, you know, that that's written for folks and those are available, you know, on Amazon or from our, uh, obviously from our uh, website as well, our gift shop. And we're glad to, to help people. We, we do, uh, we do gatherings here, um, and, and at the farm this summer, we've got six of them scheduled and um, there's all sorts of, of things going on, you know, health type summits, economic type summits, self-reliance. Um, and, and so, you know, that's happening at the farm as well. So just jump on the website. There's a trove of information there that, that anybody can see and find. Super awesome. I, I, I looked through your titles of books you've written. I saw one was called that everything I want to do is illegal, which sounds yeah. like Sounds like the perfect name for a libertarian manifesto. So I, I yes. ordered that one today. I'll be reading huh. that one. Right. Um, what, one more question. As a good libertarian and a farmer, do you accept crypto for your goods? You know, we, we don't yet, but we are close. Um, All right. Th that, that is a, that is a, that's not an easy discussion. And uh, um, I mean, you know, there's, there's everything from, you know, uh, uh, crypto is going to eventually be taken over by, you know, by the Great Reset. And and to the other side, that crypto is the ultimate, you know, libertarian answer to everything. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we we are we are sleuthing that we're not crypto aficionados, but I am I am totally um, open into it, getting counsel on it. And um, I, I suspect we're going to be taking crypto uh, pretty soon. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Joel. I, I appreciate you greatly. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Matt. It's been an honor and a privilege.